And uh, we're in a series right now called Family Matters. We had done a series called Family Matters a few years ago. And so we're revisiting that series, but it's uh, just adding to it. So it's called Family Matters 2. We're talking about a lot of things that we didn't cover the first time around. And uh, we're in week seven. So if you've missed, I encourage you to go back. All of all the sermons are on our YouTube channel and on our website. You can always go back and get caught up if you miss. You can watch live on YouTube or Facebook. And uh, especially if you're raising kids, listen, if you're, if you're raising kids, I wouldn't miss one. I'm telling you, I wouldn't miss one because they're that important, the things that we're talking about and discussing. So turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Jeremiah chapter 1. And while you turn there, I want to discuss a few things. Today we're getting into the fourth milestone um, of, of raising kids. These are, we gave eight essential milestones uh, that we can look at together. I try to put it on the screen every week so you can, if you've missed it or weren't here, you can snap a photo of it and keep these. These are kind of, you know, things that guide me as a parent. Um, and, and they're biblical. They're, they're from the Word of God, things that we should be trying to instill in our children. How many of you know kids don't raise themselves, right? They don't turn out well by accident. Matter of fact, if you've worked really hard on your kids, in other words, you've, you've worked hard to train your kids, it's one of the most annoying things in the world to have somebody walk up to you and go, oh, well, yeah, but you just have a good kid. Or you just have, man, your kids are just naturally good. Really? You hadn't spent any time in my house because... It took a lot of work to get them there, right? Or, you know, that's like somebody working out like, well, you're just naturally skinny. Well, hold on a minute. I, maybe I did some work to get here, you know. Not me, personally. I'm just saying someone else. But, no, there's a lot of work involved, and we know that. Um, and so these milestones are kind of a guide for me. They're, they're, th- this is my list, so you may add to it. You may take away. Well, you may find other things that you find helpful. But to me, these are the... Eight things that when my kids leave my house, I want them to have in them. Number one was strong, vibrant relationship with God. Number two, love and passion for God's Word. Number three, we covered last week, very high regard and commitment to the local church. And number four, which we're going to cover today, is that they understand their purpose in this life. When my kids leave my house, I want them to understand why they arrived here on the planet. Why did God put them here? What is their purpose in this life? And we, uh, by and large, the world has no answers for this, okay? This is the type of things you're going to hear if they don't have you in their ear. If they don't have you as a godly parent in their ear, these are the type of things they're going to grow up believing because they're going to hear them so often from culture and from the world around them. Number one, follow your dreams. That's what you're going to hear. Follow your dreams. Well, if you, like me, have spent a lot of time in the church and in the Word, you know that the Bible says that the heart is exceedingly wicked and all kinds of sin come out of the heart. So to say follow your dreams, well, it depends on what kind of heart those dreams are coming out of. I mean, a lot of times dreams are just pure selfishness and they have nothing to do with God and the only reason somebody's pursuing something is for money, fame, selfish reasons. Well, if that's your dream... That's not from God. So no, don't, don't follow your dreams. That's not the answer. I've had some crazy dreams, by the way. I don't follow my dreams too much. I don't follow my dreams. I, I, don't, I don't care anything about my dreams. Matter of fact, my dreams are irrelevant. This is what Paul said. 
Paul said, I don't think nothing about Paul the Apostle. I don't care one thing about Paul the Apostle. I don't care one thing about his aspirations or ambitions in this life. I have one aim. It is to go after Christ, and it is to die to self. Dying to self, part of dying to self is dying to your dreams, your aspirations, your plans. Dying to that and taking on a new life, the life of Christ. So follow your dreams. They're going to think that. They're going to hear this. You can do anything you put your mind to do. See, I don't believe that. I don't believe you can do anything you put your mind to. Or at least that shouldn't even be something that you're, that you're striving for. Because just because you can do anything doesn't mean that you should do anything. And that's not the right mindset. This, and this is the type of other things you'll hear. Well, the world is wide open to you. Just pick your path. You know, choose your course. The world is wide open to you. That's not how I think at all. I think that God is very intentional about who he put here, what he called them to do, what he gifted them to do, what he graced them to do, and that you're going to be happiest and you're going to be most fulfilled right in the middle of the will of God. Another thing they'll hear is follow your passion. Follow your passion. Well, okay, but I mean... When I was 12, I wanted to be a boxer. That was what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to be a boxer. And then later, I wanted to be in the NBA. You know, that was my big aspiration. 5'11", you know, white guy. I wanted to be in the NBA, you know. So uh, that was my passion. Well, no, follow your passion. No, because passions are fickle. Passions change over the time. Passions go up. Passion goes down. Follow your passion. No, I don't, I don't think follow your passion. I think follow God and find out what he put you here for. Amen. There's basically two mindsets, and this is what I want to put in my kids. There's basically two mindsets you're going to find with people in this life. Number one, my life is my own, and I can do what I want. My life is my own, and I can do what I want. This mindset looks at the world as just one big opportunity, right? Man, I could go anywhere. The world is my oyster type thing. I could, I could live in Louisiana or I could go to Texas. I'd go to Florida, you know, where there's beaches. Or maybe I'll move even out of the country. Or we'll make lots of money. We'll do this job. We'll do that. And we'll, the world is wide open. I could do anything that I set my mind to. Well, that mindset says my life is my own. And I'm in charge and I get to do what I want. The other mindset is my life is not my own. And actually, I'm not in charge. And that I'm actually here as a servant of the Creator. My life is not my own. And with Christian people, what I most often see is a mindset that fluctuates back and forth. Rarely do you find someone that just lives in mindset too of my life is not my own and I'm not here for me. I'm not here to build my own wealth or my own purposes or find my own way. I'm here as a servant, as a worker for God to do what he wants me to do and then when my time is finished I will go home to be with the Lord and there will be a tremendous reward waiting on me there for eternity but this short time 80 90 years that I have here on earth this very short time is actually not mine so we see this in the principle of the tithe right the Bible teaches us to tithe in a way God uh, presents it in the Old Testament is that this portion is not yours this portion is mine and when people didn't tithe in Malachi 3, the Lord told them, he said, uh, why do you rob from me? He said, you're, ste you're stealing money from me. You're robbing from me. And 
And the people said, how are we robbing you? He said, in tithes and offerings, because you didn't understand that the, I, I declared and decreed that the tenth, the first part, was mine, and you've been keeping it for yourself. Now, this is not a message about tithes and offerings. I'm just le- using it as an example. That's how God saw it in the Old Testament. He said, oh, you thought that was yours to do what you wanted with. But it wasn't. He said, I see it as mine, and when you held it back as if it were yours, you were actually robbing from me. Did you know this life is basically a tithe? That's what this life is. This life is a tithe to God. We give this very small 80, 90, let's say 100 years, we give it to the Lord as a tithe, as an offering. And what do we get in return? Eternity. For eternity, we will be with God in heaven. No more pain, no more crying, no more depression, no more brokenness, no more unforgiveness, no more headaches, no more knee pain. No more hangnails. Nothing. All of eternity with God, a thousand times greater than anything you've ever experienced on this earth. That's your reward. The Bible says that for those who are in Christ, they become joint heirs or, you could, or co-heirs with Jesus Christ in the inheritance that he's going to receive. God gave everything to Jesus as an inheritance for what he did. He gave him a name that's above all names. And the Bible says that you, me, who don't deserve it, By putting faith in Him, we become co-heirs to that inheritance. It's mind-blowing. That's what you get for all of eternity. What do we do in exchange? Not to earn that. We we get that through salvation. But out of honor, respect, and love for God, we tithe this life. We give this life as an offering to the Lord. That's what I want my kids to understand. I don't tell my, my children... When they are growing up, you can be anything you want to be. From the time they were little, we've been telling them, God put you here for a reason. God put you here for a purpose, and your job is to discover that purpose. This year, before they went to youth camp, we sat them down. We talked to them. We said, hey, you guys are going to camp. I said, while you're at camp, while you're in the presence of the Lord, I want you to have your spiritual ears open. I want you to be listening because God may speak to you something about your future, just like he did me when I was 15 years old, and I found out what I was supposed to be doing with my life. I didn't hear it from my parents. My parents didn't tell me what I was supposed to be doing with my life. I found out from God what I was supposed to be doing with my life. So we're put here for a reason, and if we're going to put in one of these two mindsets in our kid, we've got to watch our we've got to watch our language. We have to watch how we communicate. We don't want to tell our kids, "Oh, you could do anything you want. You could be anything you want to be." Well, no, because guess what? If they be if they become anything that they want to be, and they do anything they want to do, likely the odds are they're going to be miserable. They're going to be miserable. And I know a lot of miserable people that are doing their own thing, that chose their own path and went their own way. As a matter of fact, if you look at the statistics, between, and there's a lot of studies on this, so it varies in each study, but by and large, between 50 and 60% of people don't like their job. If I asked you to raise your hand, don't, don't do it. Your boss might be in here. You don't want to raise your hand. Or they might be watching on live stream. Saw you raise your hand. Between 50 and 60% of people don't like their job. Why? Well, because you were, put here, you were put here for a reason to do something specific. And a lot of times when we choose our own career and our own path, we're not fulfilled in that. Because we chose it for the wrong reasons. We chose it for money. We chose it for influence. We chose it for selfish ambition. And the real purpose, and, and in a lot of cases and a lot of times, it actually takes away from the real purpose and the real reason why we were put here on this planet. 
I, I watch, I'll see a lot of people sacrifice what they're really called to do in this life and give it up to pursue a career that actually is not something that God even had for them to do here. That happens all the time. They'll sacrifice marriage. They'll sacrifice kids. They'll sacrifice family to do something that God really doesn't care one way or the other if they did. And it's not, they could make money a number of other ways and, and have time to do what they were really called to do, which was to lead their family well and be a good husband and a good father and a good leader in their family and in their church. That happens all the time. You may find yourself in that situation right now. But many studies show that between 50 and 60% of people don't like their job. So when, I, when I'm teaching my kids, I don't want them to be one of, those kid, one of those people that grow up and they hate their life, they hate their job, they're always complaining about their boss and they, you know, they're just you know, clocking in, clocking out. That, that's not why they were put here. God didn't put them here for that reason. And all you have to do is think about people on their deathbed. Have you ever been around anybody their deathbed, maybe somebody in your family. You know, as a pastor, I've, I've had, well, I won't say opportunity. I've had the, the moment to be with people on their deathbed more than once. And it's, it, it can be a sad situation. Because in, in many cases, all people have is regrets. And here's what I've never heard and what no one ever hears. You never hear anyone saying, man, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. You never hear... Man, I wish I'd made more money. Or, man, I wish I was more successful. You never hear that because the, the moment that you're leaving this planet, all of a sudden there's a, a moment of clarity where everything becomes crystal clear and our priorities and our purposes and everything is just brought together for us in this very clear moment and we, and we realize all of a sudden what was really important and what was not. And so people find themselves going, all of a sudden, with all these regrets, why did I spend so much of my life doing this? I'm seeing it now for the first time that that was a total waste and not even important. How many of you know, we don't want to wait to our deathbed to find that out? No, no one, if you do that, then you've wasted it. And certainly we don't want that for our kids. That's why we put it in them early. Let's get, them in it, let's get, get it in them early where they don't have to wait to their deathbed to realize, wish I'd spent more time with my kids. Wish I'd been a better husband, wife. Wish I'd given more to the Lord. Spent more time building His kingdom. Those are the types of things people say. They don't wish that they'd made more money or spent uh, more time at the office or grew their business bigger. That's not, what they, that, that's not what they think because we find out in that moment many times and kind of it's always in the back of our head, but we find out that's not what this life was about. That's not what it was about. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 1. I asked you to turn there. Now, of course, I'm talking to you this morning, and these are mindsets that we have to have. But I'm, we're really talking about this so that we can instill these mindsets in our children. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Jer uh, God was speaking to Jeremiah about his life, his future. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now let's stop there. Before... I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So Jeremiah's not even in the womb yet. He's not even been conceived. Now, with, uh, with the landmark Supreme Court decision that just happened, a few, how many of you know it had been good for some Christians to read this? 
Before I formed you, why do I say Christians? Because Christians think wrong on this too. Before I formed you. In other words, before, let's notice a few things about this statement. Number one, God says, I formed you. I formed you. He tells Jeremiah, this, it may look like it was a decision by your parents. You may think it was an accident. You may think it was a moment of love and romance. You may think it just happened. He said, look, I formed you. And he said, I formed you, and before I formed you, before I formed you in your mother's womb, he said, I knew you. I knew your name. I knew your life. I knew what you were going to do. The Bible even says that it's been written down in a book. All the days of my life have been written down in your book. He said, I know the, the hairs on your head or lack thereof. Sullivan? No, I'm just kidding. Sorry, Sullivan. I... No, I... I, I know the, the hairs on your head. He said, I know everything about you. And he said, I knew them before I ever even formed you in the womb. Before you were an embryo or a fetus, I formed you. I mean, gosh, my goodness, you, you, this is only one passage. But it doesn't take long reading the scripture to find out that life in the womb is precious to God. And should be protected and fought for. Amen? That's not what we're talking about this morning. But we need to think biblically on these things. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Look at this. And before you were born, meaning still in the womb, before you were born, I consecrated you. That means I set you apart. I called you holy. I said you are mine. To consecrate something means to set apart for a specific purpose. In other words, if I've, I've got a thousand of these water bottles and I pull one out and I set it aside and I say you can use all other 999 but don't touch this one, it's special. I've got a special purpose for it and a special use for it. That's what he was telling Jeremiah. He said, before you were born, when you were still in your mother's womb, I consecrated you and set you apart for a, for a special purpose. How many of you know that some of our kids have been consecrated by God? Some of our kids have been set apart for a specific purpose and a specific call. And God put them in our hands to train them, raise them, develop them so that they could fulfill that call. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. And look at the third thing. He said, I appointed you. God Almighty. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So this tells us specific call, prophet. He could have said priest. He could have said pastor. He could have said shepherd. He could have said whatever. But point was, I appointed you for this call. And not only, notice, not only for a specific call, but a specific place, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah prophesied to a very specific group of people in a very specific time in a specific location. And he says, all of this was determined before you ever even came out of your mama's belly. So why on earth would we tell our kids, the world's wide open to you. You can do whatever you want to do. How about we tell them more like this, before you were formed in the womb, God knew you. Before you ever came out of your mom's belly, God consecrated you for a specific purpose and he appointed you to do something specific. And it is your job in this life to find out what that is and walk in it. That's what I would rather tell my kids than just tell them, oh, you could do whatever. Well, that makes it seem like God doesn't know what he's doing. You don't, life is not, it, it doesn't matter one way or the other. Well, listen, it matters. It matters tremendously. 
what we do with our life. So what we learn from this scripture, God knows us before we're even conceived. It is He who forms us. Before you ever take your first breath, you are consecrated, set apart for holiness and special use. You are appointed to a specific task and a specific location. Some of you thought, man, I'm uh, 50 and I've made a lot of decisions and never considered any of that. I might be slightly off course from some of the things God said. Well, the good thing is, is that the will of God is like a GPS. You could have made a lot of wrong turns. And from wherever you're at, there's a new perfect path to get back right to where you need to be. That's what I love about GPS. You get off, Kathy, it just says recalculating. Kind of redirects and gets you back where you need to go. That's right, God can do that. So no need to have the regrets. You can only do going forward with what you know now. Maybe you didn't know that back then. The other temptation people have is to say, well, yeah, but that's Jeremiah, you know, God had a special call for Jeremiah. He was, he was special. He was unique. All right, well, let's look at somebody else then. Let's look in Psalm chapter 139, verse 13. This is David. David thought the same way. Psalm 139, verse 13, he says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That was how David thought. So David thought that his life had meaning, that his life had purpose. He thought that God was involved in every part of it, that even every day was written down before it ever happened. That's how David thought. And again, you might think, well, yeah, but again, you're just talking about these really special people. You're talking about King David. You're talking about Jeremiah. Sure, Jesus, Moses, Abraham. We know those guys had a specific call and a specific purpose to do something specific for God. But what about me? I'm just an average Joe, you know, I, I work construction, or I work at Walmart, or I do, you know, it doesn't seem like my life has much purpose. Well, then let's look at one of those guys. This is Exodus chapter 31. Two guys that probably you never heard of, Bezalel and Aholiab. That's not Aholiab, that's, that's his name was Aholiab. <laughs> I'm glad some of you like my dad jokes, you know, it's... Exodus 31, 1, he's building the tabernacle. And look at this. God's given Moses very specific instruction. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. So he tells Moses, he says, look, 
I've got this tabernacle that has to be built. It's got to be crafted. You're going to need somebody that's skilled. They have artistic designs. They know how to work in silver, gold, and bronze and these things. And he says, I've called two men specifically to help you, Bezalel and Aholiab. And I love this. I, I used to pray this over myself all the time because I love this the way God says it. He says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. So these are spirit-filled construction workers. <laughs> These are men that, yes, they, they are construction workers, you might as well say, but they are filled with the Spirit of God. Look at this. With ability and intelligence. Notice God says, I filled them with this. So this is not natural ability or natural intelligence. This is supernatural. He says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability, with intelligence, with knowledge, and all craftsmanship. To devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, bronze, cutting of stones, etc. Listen, don't ever, don't ever underestimate yourself and what God's called you to do and how involved God is in your life and your purpose and what He's called you to do. I don't care if what you're doing, you may think it seems small or you may think, well, I don't have any big, special call. That's not how God looks at it. That's not how God looks at it. I, I remember when Solomon was building the temple that it's, it starts to list the people that helped him. And at one point it says, uh, and it, it gives a bunch of different numbers, but one that stuck out to me, it says uh, that Solomon had 80,000 cutters of stone. 80,000 people that helped build the original temple of God. Their names weren't even named. Their names weren't even listed. All of history doesn't even know who they are, but how many of you know God knows their name? God knows all 80,000 people that helped cut stone and helped build the temple of God. They may not have even known what they were building. They may not have even known how significant it was, but they were working with God to do a specific purpose. So it's not in the kingdom of God. There are no big calls, little calls, you know, important people, unimportant. Every person has a place. Every person has a role it doesn't mean you can't work a regular job. Sometimes people think that. They go, oh, I, well, if God's got a specific call on my life, then, you know, then I shouldn't be doing some little simple thing, you know, working at the store or whatever or working this job. No, that's not true. That's not true. Sometimes, depending on what your call is, the job that you, the specific job that you have is not as important as what your real call in life is. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But So we see this with a lot of people. Paul thought this way. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Paul tells Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. He's at the end of his life now. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So this verse tells us again that this life is not the main thing. There's something after this life, and that's how Paul was thinking. He said, when I was on this earth, he said, I had a race to run, I had a course to finish, and praise God, I finished it. And he said, and now I'm going on to the main thing. I'm going on to the reward for how I lived my life. But he said, I finished my course and I run my race. I remember when I was 15 years old and I gave my life to the Lord. I was at youth camp 
And this actually was the verse that caused the light bulb to go off for me. I, I, was, I was just a teenager. I was at camp, and uh, Brother Greg Fritz, who still comes to minister at our church, was preaching the sermon. He was preaching on this verse about running your race, and he was explaining to us that God has a race for every person to run. He has a course for every person to run. And something just went off on the inside of me, and it was like God spoke to me and said, you have a race to run. And whether you do it or not matters. In other words, all of a sudden I understood for the first time, it really matters if you do what I've called you to do or not. If you do it, there are going to be consequences in a good way. If you don't do it, there are going to be consequences in a negative way for other people. If you don't do what I've called you to do, there's going to be a hole. And I need you to do what I've called you to do. I understood that as a young person. And from that moment, I began to shape my life. I began to change my life. The direction I was going, I just tweaked it a little bit. I began to pray. I began to read my Bible. I began to serve at my, at my church. Because I knew that my life mattered and the call of God on my life mattered. But that's not just me. That's every person. That's every person. So Paul said, I fought the good fight. I finished my race. I kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In other words, this is how everybody ought to be. Everybody ought to be running their race. Everybody ought to be doing what God's called them to do. Now, if you think back to one of the parables of Jesus, uh, you remember the parable of the stewards. Jesus was explaining how it was going to be at the last day, the judgment seat, when all is finished, earth is finished, everything is done, all are standing before God. And he gives several parables to explain what that's going to be like. And one of the parables he gives is called the parable of the stewards or the talents. And, and Jesus give, uh, he gives the explanation that there was a manager who gave talents, uh, which was a form of money, not actual like talents like we would think of them or giftings, but as actual money. And he, he gave each one a certain amount. You know, I think one was five or one was ten, one was twenty, or maybe it was one, five, and ten. I can't remember exactly. But he gave them different amounts. And he expected them to do something with what he gave them. And now Jesus gives us as, as an illustration. He's not, talking to any, you know, he's not talking to anyone famous or important. He's just talking to the general, general crowd. He says, this is how it is for everybody. Everyone's been, giving, been given something to steward. And there's going to be a day of accounting where God, the one who gave it to you, asks, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? Now, the good news for that is in, in two of the cases, they doubled what God had given them. In other words, they, they took what God gave them, and they increased it, and they, they, they didn't even multiply it. They just added to it. They just went from 5 to 10 or from 10 to 20. It wasn't like they did some big phenomenal thing. They just increased it a little bit. And the, the one guy who got reprimanded, he didn't do anything with it. He didn't do anything with it. He just hid it in the ground and he, he never increased it or he never multiplied it. He never did anything with it. And here's what the master said to him. He said, if you had just taken what I gave you and went and put it in the bank and let it get, get interest, he said, that would have been something. But that's not what you did. You just went and hit it. So what I take from that is, man, God would have been happy if we just moved the needle at all. I mean, if we just 
took what he gave us and used it for his kingdom, used it for his purposes just a little bit. It's not like you've got to build some big ministry or make some gigantic impact. Actually, the most powerful things that have happened in the kingdom of God have not happened by these huge, gigantic impacts, right? Jesus discipled 12. Those 12 went and discipled others and planted churches, and it just started from there. You know, I used to, when I was growing up, I used to see these big crusades and stuff they would do over in Africa in places like that, these ministers would go and they would take pictures and you would just see like an ocean of people. Uh, Sometimes hundreds of thousands of people there, you know, just living for God, but are are going after God. Some of them giving their life to God. But how many of you know that's not uh, the, the majority, that's not how people come into Christ. It's not through some big crusade where just hundreds of thousands of people, or, you know, Billy Graham, in our example. Billy Graham used to do these crusades and just tons of people come into God. Yes, and that was his call. He, he received a call and he received the appropriate grace and ability to do that call. And he, he functioned well in it, but that's not most of our call. Most of our call is much smaller than that. Most of our call is much, much smaller than that. But the impact can be as much as it was His because we're doing with what we were given. We're being faithful with what we were given. I've used this example before, but it's like if you took two people and you said, okay, we need to move this, you know, this whole, just imagine a, this, a, the size of this room, a big pile of dirt. And you gave one person a, a backhoe and you gave another person a, a teaspoon. And you said, all right, let's move this whole pile of dirt, you know, across the way. Well, the guy with the teaspoon is doing, and he's being faithful with what he was given. He wasn't, no one is going to stand there and go, well, you didn't move as much as him. Well, yeah, because I had a teaspoon, he had a backhoe. I did, you know, what I could do. And actually, the guy with the teaspoon may have worked harder than the guy with the backhoe. He may have been more faithful. This guy may have taken breaks and, you know, went off on vacation and come back and still looks like he got more done, but actually it was because he had been given more and so he was accountable for more and he had to answer for more because of what he was given. And a guy with a teaspoon, he may have not moved very much, but he was faithful and he was a good steward over what he'd been given. How many of you know that's what it's going to be like on the Day of Judgment? See, with man's eyes, we look and we go, oh man, this one, they're doing something amazing for God. They're just, they're, they're doing, God must be so happy with them. They're doing so much for God. Well, you don't really know what they've been called to, to they, you don't know what they've been given to be steward over. They may be doing well, they may not be, depending on what they were given. The question is, this is why the Bible tells us not to judge, because you can't know the answer to those kind of things. All you can do is look at what you've been given, what you've been called to steward, and go, am I being faithful with this? And we know that because look at the response when Jesus comes uh, and, and, he, and he responds to the stewards. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. In other words, he mentions specifically faithfulness. Just faithfulness to what I gave you, to the amount that I gave you. So, our kids, from a young age, need to be trained and they need to be taught. Your life matters. You've been given something to steward. And you need to seek God and discover what it is. You may find out that God doesn't care where you work 
or where you live, for what you have to do and what your call is. You may find out that that's not what's important for you. But I can tell you this, you were put here for something. You were put here for a reason. And we're going to start with this because let's get to how, how do we help our kids to understand this. Well, number one, we have to teach them the difference between the general will of God and the specific will of God. And here's what I mean by that. For every Christian, there's the general will of God. And that's where every person should start. The general will of God meaning what every Christian should be doing. There are no exceptions. You know, every Christian, we can find that in the Word of God, every Christian ought to be praying. Every Christian ought to be reading their Bible. Every Christian ought to be serving the local church in some capacity through giving or through their talents, you know, through, through helping with ministry and outreach, those types of things. In other words, if you really want to boil it down, what is the general will of God for every Christian? It would be, I would say, in general, in most cases, it would be to build strong families that multiply generation after generation, to build strong families that love God and serve God, and number two, build the kingdom of God. Of course, if you do the first one, you're building the kingdom of God as well. So you could just say build the kingdom of God. But building strong families, if, and everybody's not called to be married. We understand that from Scripture. That's why I say this is just in general. By and large, the will of God is for us to build strong families, to raise godly children that then go out and do the same thing. And it multiplies year after year. People that are loving God, following God, serving God. And as part of that, to build the kingdom of God. So if you are, and then how do you build the kingdom of God? Well, it's going to be different from every person. I mean, I'd start, number one best place to start is to hook up with the local church that's building the kingdom of God. And to plug in there and, and help with that. But as you go to work, as you go out and live your daily life, you can build the kingdom right where you're at. The Bible says you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth. You can build the kingdom right where you're at. I talk to Christians all the time that don't feel like they're doing enough for God. They feel like they're supposed to be doing more for God. And this is what I would tell them. First of all, make sure that you're doing the general will of God really well. Because why would God tell you the specific will of God for your life if you're not even doing the general will of God that everybody's called to do? If you, if you haven't been faithful doing this, why would I give you something else? So... I want our kids to be raised to think like this. Number one, I'm preparing you for marriage and family. That's one of my primary jobs as a parent is I am prepping you and preparing you to be a good husband or wife and a good father and mother who will raise you in the way that I've raised you, who will disciple you, uh, that will disciple in the way that I've discipled you. In other words, it'll go from generation to generation to generation and if every Christian family did that what would the world look like and sometimes we think on big terms like oh we gotta reach all these people for God we gotta reach our city we gotta reach our state look if every family if every Christian family just discipled their family well and produced godly men and women of God our whole state nation everything would be turned upside down God knew that because the family is God's idea that's why we're spending a whole series on family. God's, the family is God's idea. Why do you think Satan fights so hard against the family? 
Why do you think he fights so hard for divorce and for, and for sin and for problems and division? Why do you think he fights so hard for that? Because he's trying to ruin families? Because he knows that families are the key to everything. Why do you think we have laws and things in our nation right now that are anti-family, destroying the family? Why? Because Satan hates the family. God loves the family. He created it. He knew what he was doing in the very beginning. If Adam and Eve had done what they were supposed to do in Cain and Abel and on from there, it would just multiply in a perfect world. Not in a perfect world, but if we were, it would just multiply one generation from the next. The love of God, Christianity spreading from each generation. And you'd barely even need a local church if the family were doing their job. So when we talk about the general will of God, let's start there. Number one, building strong families. I want to prepare my kids to build strong families. I want to prepare them to be an unselfish human being in marriage and to give selflessly and to train their children and to disciple their children for God. So if you want to know what you're supposed to be doing for God, I'd start there. And listen, I don't, I don't think God gives us a lot to do if we don't have that one right. I want to say that one again. I don't think God gives us a lot of other things to do if we don't have that one right. As a matter of fact, it's a prerequisite for the New Testament for choosing leaders in the church is that they have things in order in their family. And if they don't have things in their family in order, what business do they have leading the church of God? So this is, this is a priority to God. This is a priority to God. And there's probably, for some of us even in here this morning, there's probably some things in our life that we're chasing after and going after while our families suffer. And it doesn't make sense. Because the thing that we're chasing and going after is probably not even part of what we're supposed to be doing here on this planet. It's not the main thing. And if we become wildly successful in business and making money and do that, but our marriage fails and our kids fail, you haven't done anything before God. As a matter of fact, if that happens, what you've done is you have played right into the trap of the enemy who tries to get us distracted off the main thing and to try to get our eyes focused. That's why the Bible says that the love of money is a trap. It's a snare leading you into all kinds of destruction and sin. Is money bad? No, of course not. It is bad if it takes a higher priority than your marriage and your kids and your family. So to do the general will of God, number one, we need to be focused on building strong, strong families. And number two, we need to build the kingdom of God in any way that we can with any gift that we have. Whatever talents we have, whatever gifts we have, this morning we've got people serving in media, live stream, kids church, youth, security, we team, parking lot. We've got people everywhere. And then during the week, we've got people coming up, doing different things. And it doesn't have to be even specifically in this church, but just in the body of Christ at large. That's your, that's your second call, is to build the kingdom of God however and wherever you can. That may be Maybe you lead a, a Bible study at your, at your job with people before work starts or whatever. I could give you a hundred different ideas. But bottom line, every day when you wake up, do you wake up with that mentality that my primary purpose today is to build a strong family for God and to build the kingdom of God? And I don't want to get sidetracked on doing a hundred different things that don't make any difference, but I haven't built the kingdom of God today. 
So for our children, this is number one. We want them to understand that you'll never find the specific will of God until you're doing the general will of God first. When you are doing this, when you're building strong families and you're building the kingdom of God with what He's given you, when you're doing that, then I believe that God will open up the specific will of God to you. And He'll begin to show you, you're doing these things well, let me show you what I have for you specifically to do in this life. And like at Jeremiah, you know, he had a specific call, prophet to the nations. For Paul, he had a call. For Bezalel, he had a call. Do the general will of God. And this is what I find with Christians is most of the time when they're just doing the general will of God, it will lead them straight into the specific will of God for their life. So many times people, they're just going about their day, just doing this, doing what Christians are supposed to be doing, and they find an opportunity that opens right in front of them. And before you know it, they step right into what God's called them to do. And a lot of the Christians that I hear going, well, I don't know what God's called me to do. I don't know what God's asked me to do. I, would, I always send them back here and go, well, do this well first. And when you're doing this well, you'll find yourself walking straight into the specific will of God for your life. Number three, we're almost done here. Talking about how do we help our kids get this, okay? Uh, number two, actually. Is to have conversations with them often about this topic. In other words, to be careful when this comes up how do you speak? Because you're putting ideas in their mind. When they talk about what they're going to do, and one of them wants to be a ballerina, and one of them you know, wants to be you know, Superman, and they, they have these ideas of what they want to do, make sure the way you speak to them, don't tell them, oh, babe, you can just do whatever you want to do. You say, no, well, you know what? God put you here for a specific person, and I'm praying or for a specific reason, and I'm praying every day that you find that purpose. God's going to show you why He put you here and what you're supposed to be doing. Put them in places where they can hear from and experience God. We just sent our kids to camp. That's a great example. Put them in places where they can experience God, hear from God. Because I'll tell you this, one, one word from God to their heart can change everything. It did mine. One word to their heart from the Lord can change everything. Put them in places where they can hear from and experience God. Because you can't tell them what their purpose is. They have to get it from God. I had my kids ask me that when they said, well, well, Dad, do you know what I'm supposed to do? I said, well, even if I did, I wouldn't tell you. You got to get it from God. See, that's one of the reasons why I've stayed doing what I'm supposed to be doing. is because nobody told me it's what I was supposed to be doing. God told me. And I could always go back to that and I could always remember the moment that God told me. If a person told me, then I can question it. I could go, well, they I'm doing this because they said I was supposed to be doing it. They might have been wrong. But I know God wasn't wrong, and I know the experience that I had with God wasn't wrong. So if I've ever questioned it, I've always gone back to that moment and go, I remember when God spoke that to me, and it hasn't changed. So they need to get it from God. And lastly, what you can do is help them to develop a prayer life because in order for this to work, they will need to be able to hear from the Holy Spirit for the rest of their lives. See, at different seasons of life, you're supposed to be doing different things. When I first got out of college, when I first graduated from college, I had three churches that asked me, to, me and Jen, to come youth pastor. Three good churches. Three pastors that I loved. I loved all of them. And honestly, I didn't know where to go. 
Some of them were in different cities. They were different places. I loved all the churches. I loved all the pastors. And other than just meeny, any, meeny, miny, mo, how was I supposed to pick and know where God wanted me to go? How many of you know it matters which one you go to? And without a prayer life, and without being able to be led by the Spirit, without being able to hear from the Holy Spirit, how do you make a choice like that? I, I don't want to go through life making choices by trial and error. Well, we'll just try this one out. I guess if it doesn't work, we'll go to the next. How many know there's a better way? No, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is there to guide us, lead us into all truth, to help us, to show us things to come, reveal the future to us. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. So what did we do? We took it to prayer. We prayed for weeks and months on all three churches, on all three opportunities. We prayed until both of us felt like we had a direction from God of which way to go, and that's the direction that we went. When it came time to leave that church, that's the way we left too. Holy Spirit began to stir us. I got something else for you to do. We went to Shreveport, worked at a church there. When we left Shreveport to come plant this church, it was from a word from God. It was because of a time in prayer. I, I remember the moment. I remember exactly where I was. When I was praying, when the Lord spoke to me and said, it's time for you to step out and pastor and plant, plant this church. When I brought it to my, to my pastor and I told him about it, I said, you know, I said, this is what the Lord's been speaking to me. He said, two days ago I was praying and the Lord showed me the same thing. Which would have been the time I was praying. I said, man, God is good. Thank God for that. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is involved in our lives. But if you never pray and you never spend time with Him and you don't learn and we don't teach our kids to develop that, we just teach them, oh, you can do whatever you want to do. Every decision matters. Who you marry matters. Somebody say amen on that. Okay, who you marry matters tremendously. What career path you choose in college matters tremendously. Where you take your first job, where you move, it matters tremendously. And guess what? The Bible says that God knows it all. He's not trying to hide it from you because He put you here to fulfill it. And if we teach our kids to pray and seek God on these issues, I believe they'll start hearing from God and being led by the Spirit on these issues. But guess what? These are things that we all have to be doing ourselves. I mean, how can we teach our kids these things if we're not doing them ourselves? But there's no better time to start. We started teaching our kids this from a very, very, very young age. When they would do something wrong, we would ask them. We'd say, how'd you feel when you did that? How'd you feel, how'd you feel in here when you did that? Oh, I didn't feel good. I, I knew I wasn't supposed to do it. I said, listen, the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit's on the inside of us, and it'll tell you the difference between right and wrong. And whenever you override that, there's going to be consequences. And we begin to teach them from a young age to listen to their, their, their the, the, we call it conscience, and it is conscience, but for a believer, the Holy Spirit supercharges your conscience. And so we begin to teach them from a young age, when you see something or everybody else is doing it, you need to check your heart. What are you feeling about that? That's how you teach a kid to be led by the Spirit. And before long, they start being led on other things, not just right from wrong. Amen. Praise God. Well, we could keep talking about, about so much, but bottom line on that is we want our kids to understand they were put here for a purpose and teach them that their life is not their own. That is the main thing that we want to get in. Okay.